It's Sunday morning. Time for the Great Outdoors with Charlie Potter. Brought to you by the all-new Chevy Silverado and ChevyDriveChicago.com on Chicago's very own 720 WGN. Good morning. Welcome to the Great Outdoors show. Charlie Potter, your host here on WGN Radio. Thank you so much for joining me this morning. I'm going to take us back in time, 40 years to be precise, as I've done from time to time this year. It's the 40th anniversary of my following the waterfowl migration from the Arctic in Manitoba to the Gulf of Mexico, where the Mississippi dumps in to the Gulf south of Venice, Louisiana. And today, 40 years ago this week, I was standing on the dock at Venice, Louisiana, the end of the road, literally, not the end of my trip. I still had another six weeks of work to do with field and stream and outdoor life and writing stories about bird migration down the Mississippi River. But I had leaped over Arkansas and Mississippi and Tennessee to get to Louisiana for the opening of their season. So... Envision life 40 years ago. Think about the things we had, the things we didn't have. We had CB radios. I had a CB radio in my pickup truck with the sliding camper, and I was not too bad with language talking to truckers. We did not have GPS. We did not have cell phones. I don't even think we had fax machines 40 years ago. We had maps. We had landlines, telephones. And we made plans well in advance, and you hoped people showed up at the other end. In my case, I had spent much of the summer talking to directors of Fish and Wildlife Services and, and, and others in the various states as I made my plans for the trip down the Mississippi Flyway, part of it by boat and the Mississippi River itself, and this would be a part of that. And Hugh Bateman was the head of the Department of Natural Resources in Louisiana, And at that point, I wasn't terribly well-versed in Southern accents, and I can assure you my phone conversations with him I could hardly understand. But I had something I needed to understand, and there really were no maps. The road ended in Venice, Louisiana. So I had traveled uh, from Memphis, Tennessee, by road, towing a a 12-and-a-half-foot Boston whaler with a 40 old 40-horse Johnson Evinrude motor on it, And the thing was laden with decoys, and I was to go 12 miles down the Mississippi River and take a left or go east at something called East Pass, and then I was to go south on something called Pass Salute. Now, this would be the equivalent of most of us landing on Mars and being given directions. I had never been to Louisiana. I had certainly never been on the Mississippi River in south Louisiana, which is, I'll say, a couple miles wide. I was not prepared for the sight of huge ocean-going freighters and barges pulling uh, upriver and downriver, just enormous loads of grain and, and throwing up wakes that, well, they were about 10 feet tall. And here I am in a 12-and-a-half-foot Boston whaler that has seen lots of years on it. The Boston whaler had 10 six-gallon, 5-gallon gas cans on it, so 50 gallons of gas. I was going to be there for a couple of weeks. I had food for a couple of weeks. 
I had decoys, and I had clothing. And all of this was in a 12-and-a-half-foot Boston Whaler, on top of which I had made a a place to put a boat, a duck boat, in this case a Buddy Melga's duck boat, on top. And I have launched the boat, and I'm sitting at the dock, and it's a clear afternoon, and I, I, there are no maps to where I'm going. There's, there's really nothing but these vague directions. And I'm headed off into the wilderness, and I'm just about, I'm casting off the dock, and this elderly gentleman comes up, and he spits tobacco <laughs> just misses my boat and hits the dock with the tobacco. And he looks at me, and I won't use his exact language. I'll let you fill in the word. He looks at me and he says, I ain't your pappy, but if I was, I would kick your blank. You could fill in the word. And with that, he pushed me off the dock, and I went down the, started to go down the Mississippi River, bright sunshine, and those words stayed with me. Here we are 40 years later. To the week, and those words have stayed with me every time I think about that. Going down the Mississippi River, again, just sort of start imagining this. There are huge barges and freighters going a half a mile from me, and I am going down the river in a 40 horse motor with the current. So I'm probably doing, oh, I'll say I'm doing a good 20 miles an hour, maybe 25. And and I'm trying, every time the wakes of these enormous boats would go by, I'd have to go into neutral, turn my boat bow into the waves, and sit still, and go up and down like a porpoise. And I would go up, and I would see the boat, the freighter. And then I'd come down in the swell, and I wouldn't see anything but water. And then I'd come back up, and I did this for an hour and a half. I don't know how many times I had to slow the motor, but I'm going down the river, and there's cane breaks. The road has ended in Venice, Louisiana. There are no more cars. There is there's nothing except Army Corps of Engineers concrete and rock revetments and huge ocean-going boats. And I'm going down, and I'm looking for some cut, which is going to – I'm on the west side of the river, and I'm looking for a cut on the east side of the river, which is going to be two miles away, and I'm supposed to spot this cut before I actually get to the Gulf of Mexico and head out Southeast Pass. I had no way in the world of finding this. I, I realized I was just absolutely toast. There was no way I was going to find this place that I was supposed to go to the Louisiana Fishing Game Headquarters for the Passalute Wildlife Management Area, which was wiped out by, by Hurricane uh, in 19. Uh, it was wiped out by Katrina, uh, so it was 20 years ago. And I am bobbing along. And I'm thinking I'm going to have to turn around and go back up river to Venice, spend the night, hire someone to take me down there or follow somebody. There are no phones. I, I have no communication with the world. And across the river comes this fishing boat flat out. It's about a 25-foot Mako, and it, it is making a beeline for me. And it comes right up to me. And I'm, I'm maybe 200 yards from the shore, and the current's moving, and there are whirlpools. And I'm thinking about what that guy said and how right he was. And the water's, you know, 40 degrees. It doesn't matter. I have a life jacket on. I am dead if I go in the water. And this boat pulls up to me, and these guys look at me, and they said, are you all right? <laughs> and I said, well, I'm afloat. And they said, what are you doing? And I, I mean, there was no freeboard in this boat, a couple of inches. Whalers don't sink. They just swamp. And these guys, I told them where I was going. 
And they, they said, are you crazy? I said, well, maybe, but I'm supposed to go there. I'm spending three weeks there. I'm meeting the head of the Department of Natural Resources and this game warden, and I'm going to be duck hunting and fishing. And so they said, follow me. And I followed them from where I was for the next seven miles. I followed these guys in their bass boat, and they led me to this channel that I was supposed to find on my own. Forty years later, if I had spent the entire time between then and now, I still don't think I would have found this channel. And once I got off the main river, the water was glass flat, and it was the most beautiful, tranquil marsh setting. And I went on down and passed all, and I'd never seen all these oil rigs. And for those of you who've never been to South Louisiana, which is probably many of you, the marsh is just full of oil wells, oil and gas. It's everywhere. And you go by these rigs, and they've drilled them into the marsh, and they've cut these canals in the marsh, which is why there's so much salt intrusion and why the marsh is eroding so badly. So I go by these things in my whaler. Now I'm doing easily 25 miles an hour, and loving every minute of it, and I found the next pass that I was supposed to go on, and it was easy to find, and went down this pass, and, I, and these guys waved goodbye and wished me luck and told me I was crazy. They had been redfish fishing, and they were headed back up to Venice to, to drive back to Alabama. Uh, I never got their names, never got any contact information. I couldn't thank them. So I go down this pass, and ahead of me is on stilts, an absolutely magnificent building. And it's the headquarters for the state of Louisiana for the Passalute Wildlife Management Area. And that's where I lived for the next three weeks. And when I come back from the break, I'm going to take you on a little bit of a life in the marsh of Louisiana 40 years ago this week. Once I found, got to the headquarters and walked in the door. You are listening to The Great Outdoors Show. Charlie Potter, your host here on WGN Radio. I hope you're enjoying this tale. And first, a message from our longtime sponsors, the Northwest Indiana and Chicagoland Chevrolet dealers. When sunrise is your alarm clock, life is different. You eat a ditch for breakfast. Love the smell of diesel in the morning with a hot cup of joe. The weather report is 40% chance of mud. And corporate pull, that's 36,000 pounds of towing capacity with a gooseneck trailer. Mudden is PTO. You know sometimes when the paved road ends, the fun begins. Chevy Silverado 3500 HD is waiting to run over something, anything. No road, no problem, because the best way out is always through. A trouble rides a swift horse, and you don't want trouble pulling a backhoe loader. Chevy Silverado HD is a wake-up call. Now, during Chevy truck season, get a $1,000 accessory allowance toward the purchase of a new truck with accessories. You worked hard for your money. Spend it smart. So see your Chicagoland and Northwest Indiana Chevy dealer today or go to ChevyDriveChicago.com for all the details. Chevy Silverado HD. Power up and experience life in HD. It's Charlie Potter and the Great Outdoors on Chicago's very own 720 WGN. Welcome back to the Great Outdoors show. Charlie Potter, your host here on WGN Radio. And if you're just joining me, I am lost in the marshes of South Louisiana. 40 years ago this week, writing for Field and Stream, trying to find my way to hunting camps and hunting fields and redfish fishing in a, in a world and in a life that I had never been exposed to without any, any of the modern technology that we have today. No cell phones, no GPS. I had a compass. Not very good by navigating on a compass, particularly at night. I never quite figured out how to do it by the stars. I had to. So, just to pick up where I left off, I arrive at the fishing game headquarters. It's this beautiful building, and I walk up. I pull my boat up, tie it off at a at a wooden pier, walk 
the 30 yards across beautiful mowed lawn, climb the stairs, walk in the door, and there's this guy sitting there on the kitchen table. He's got an undershirt on and a pair of, pair of skivvies, and he looks at me and says, who are you? I told him I was here, Charlie Potter. I'm writing for Field and Stream. I'm, I'm doing a story on the pass salute, and Hugh Bateman, the head of the Department of Natural Resources, sent me here, and he said, I've never heard of you. How do I, I've never heard of you, and we don't let strangers stay here. I said, well, I'm not a stranger. I went through the whole story again. Of course, he has no way to touch with, with the Louisiana Game and Fish Department. So um, he, uh, he says, well, you can spend the night, but we got to clean this up in the morning. Nobody told me you're coming, and, and, and furthermore, you're not, you're not from around here, and, and we, we tend to take unkindly. I'm, this is quite serious. We tend to take unkindly to people who weren't from Louisiana down here. I'll tell you in a moment uh, how unkindly. But uh, anyway, the next day, the state game warden comes in, and he's got a radio, and he calls into, into uh, Baton Rouge and gets the DNR, gets the director's office on the phone, and Hugh Bateman's secretary, yes, yes, Charlie Potter's supposed to be there for the next two weeks, writing stories for Field and Stream, treat him well. Well, that was my introduction to Louisiana. Treating me well meant they said hello, and I was on my own. Fortunately, I had befriended a local state game warden who showed me around and took me into places I never could have got on my own. We had fabulous duck hunts. We caught fish. His name was Flip Saragusa. He's just recently uh, retired, I believe, from Louisiana's force after 40 years, 45 years. And he made my trip to Pass Salute possible. So what does a day look like in, in Louisiana marshes, 15 miles from the end of the road, and, and literally where they're 15 miles from the nearest person who has a dwelling? We had electricity. It was run by a generator. Uh, it starts off with a pot on the stove. And that pot, I think, stays there all year. And whatever's caught, shot, trapped is put into that pot. And it's a it's a it's simply a jambalaya of good knows what what possum nutria, pintail fish, it all goes into this pot, and every day or so more stuff is added to it, and that's pretty much what I ate for two weeks. Occasionally, I mean, I ran out of food pretty quickly. You, there's no way you go for milk. I had 50 gallons of gas. That 50 gallons of gas had to last me the two weeks, and I needed seven gallons of gas to get back. Uh, upstream to Venice. So I knew I had to basically keep 10 gallons of gas around, so I had 40 gallons to use. When you're running in these marshes with no current, you don't use a lot of gas. I used this Melgus duck boat, which is basically a a 10-foot kayak, essentially, but made for duck hunting. And I'd go down these deep canals that the oil companies had cut, and and they had cut today, 40 years later, the entire area that I hunted and fished for Field and Stream that glorious month is gone. 100% of it does not exist. It's all in the Gulf of Mexico. It's all been eroded, and the erosion primarily has been caused by the thousands of miles of pipelines that have been dug into these marshes. And so when they drill a well, they have to get there, and they would cut through and dredge into the marsh, drill the well, Connect that, gas, connect that gas and oil pipeline to a main line. All of this is done with dredges. And so the marsh 
which I think was over 60,000 acres in size, and at one point was almost all land with little potholes and natural channels, tidal channels that ran through it, became, looked, it, looked like a, it looked like Swiss cheese is the best way to describe it. All these channels moving through, and of course they're all straight lines, not squiggly lines. So the salt intrusion came, this started really in the 40s, and it really accelerated to the 50s, 60s, and 70s. I'm there in, in 1980, December of 82, and, and so this marsh that I saw at that time, which looked like a bird's foot from the point of view of just all these canals running, eventually just enabled the Gulf of Mexico to consume this 68, 70,000-acre piece of land is gone. We talk about the coastal erosion in Louisiana. I, I've actually seen it firsthand, and if I hadn't seen it 40 years ago, I, I couldn't believe. So I went back two years ago to the headquarters, which was rebuilt after Katrina. It sits on an island. And as far as I could see, there was nothing but water. And as far as I could see 40 years ago, there was nothing but marsh. I stood up on the top, and it's, of course it's flat in the Louisiana Delta. You're at the mouth of the Mississippi. There's not a hill. I stood up on the second floor of this building that was on stilts, and you could see with binoculars, you could see to the horizon. It was all marsh and channels moving through it and birds that were just beyond belief. And I'm not talking just, just ducks. I'm talking geese. I'm talking and every kind of pelican you've ever seen and ibis and shorebirds. It was, it was a John James Audubon uh, painting. Every, every day I would see something, rosy-billed spoonbills. I would see incredible bird life. And the fishing was phenomenal for redfish. And, and today... I stood on the second floor two years ago of, the, of the, the headquarters that was rebuilt, and I looked out, and all I saw was water. A few little strands of, of islands left. Everything else was water. This is the loss that's taken place, and it's so tragic as we lose one of the greatest marsh estuaries the world has ever, has ever had created, and we have destroyed it basically in, in a period of 60 years, so 70 years. In my lifetime, and I'm not not that old yet, but in my lifetime, most of the destruction took place, and I saw that at, at age 22, writing for Field and Stream, and I could not even begin to imagine when I went back, which I'll talk more about in the coming months recently to see what it looks like. But South Louisiana in 1982 was indeed a paradise, and for this northerner who had never been there before, I, I learned a lot, and I also learned what it's like to come back to your vehicle after being gone for three weeks and find that your vehicle's there, but your tires are not. That's a story for another day. Thanks for listening. 40 years ago, this week, that's what I did in the great outdoors. This is the Great Outdoors Show. Charlie Potter, your host here on WGN Radio. I'll be back next week with much more in the great outdoors. Thanks so much for listening. The Outdoor Voice of Chicago and America, 720 WGN.